You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Just to remember what we talked about last week, God is good. All the time. All right, that's good. You warmed up. Now we'll try it again. God is good. All the time. Man, I love it. And there's nothing before or after His goodness except for His goodness. Amen? And when times are hard and you already know what I'm going to say, that special three-layered word, but when times are hard, but God is good. When my circumstances are difficult, but God is good. It's not God is good, but I stub my toe. Because that's how small everything is in comparison to the glory and the majesty and the might of God's goodness and the goodness that is for you. There's not a person that's breathing breath that's ever, that's ever lived and breathed on this earth or that will ever breathe on this earth that His goodness is not targeted for. And it is coming after them even now. Amen? Amen. He is for you. He is for us. So who can be against us? Is there anyone that can be against us? Is there anyone that can be against us? Come on, you said you were ready, dang it. Don't lie to me. We're in church. Romans 8, 31. This passage, since we've read it and since the Lord showed what He showed, I've, I've not been able to leave it. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for you all. For you, sitting in the chair right now, for you listening online, He gave His Son up for you. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Did you hear that? Not only did He not spare, not withhold His own Son for you so that He could be reconciled to you and have a relationship with you, but use that as the foundation. If that's what He started out giving you, what else will He give? All things. Will He withhold anything from you if the most precious thing that has ever been and ever will be was not spared, but freely given for you? All things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Can you imagine that? Not only did Christ give His life for you, but now He's before the Father interceding on your behalf. If I gave my life for someone, I'd kind of be like, I kind of did enough, I feel like. I feel like I met the quota for kindness. But now, being reunited with His Father, the second He went, He left in Acts 1. It was necessary for Him to go that He could send the Helper to them. He got there and He hit His knees and began to intercede on your behalf. Whoa. Just grab a hold of that for a second. This God, this Christ, who did not spare or withhold His own life for you because He knew it was the key to your reconciliation, to your restoration, and to God making His appeal through you, He knew it was the key and He freely gave it up. And now He stands before the throne of God interceding on your behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If that's the standard of His love, there is nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No. In all these things, in all these things, in distress, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in danger or sword, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. Listen to the list that he's listening off right now because it's for you and you need to hear it, like really, really hear it and receive it because we read it and we're like, man, that's good. But stuff's really, really hard and I don't know how he's going to see me through it. Stop that. We've got to stop that. Because look, it lists everything. There's nothing present. There's nothing to come. There's no rulers. There's no powers, nor hype, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we think there's not anything in all of creation that can separate us from the love of Christ we just read. But that, that circumstance, it's the one thing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of Christ. Absolutely not. There's not anything in all of creation. So I'm telling you, of these, of these eight verses, what more do we need to hear? Absolutely nothing. But you have, have you not experienced His love? That's a question you can answer. Have you not experienced His love? That's a question you can answer. Have you not experienced His love? Thank you, because there's more than Shorty in here, and I'll continue to ask. I was a youth pastor before. Awkward silences are like my jam. I love it. I thrive in it. So, it's His goodness. Have you not experienced His goodness for yourself? If you doubt that, Take a breath in with me. Breathe out. There was his goodness. Because you have breath in your lungs when you should not. Tell me, did you do anything to deserve that breath? But while we were still sinners, Christ died. You've experienced this goodness. We, are, we bear witness this morning. I, I have testimony now. If you ever doubt his goodness, I saw you take a breath in on this morning. So I know you know and have experienced his goodness. We can clearly see if we allow ourselves, that's the key, if we allow ourselves to see the goodness of God, we can clearly see that it has pursued us all the days of our lives. And no one can stand against us, including our circumstances. Amen? Amen. I told you this before, but I'm going to tell you this again before we get into this. I'm here to preach today, and I hope that you're here to listen and to step into it, okay? So with that said, let's go. Uh, This is, I was preparing, I have a word, and we're like, we got a sermon one and then sermon two. And this is sermon one because as I sat down to begin to articulate on paper, I spend a lot of time throughout the week just processing all that the Lord has to say and, and, and seeing the path that He's going to take us on on Sunday morning. And I sat down, clear as day, ready to begin to write out what the Lord had shown me. And as I began to write, it wasn't what the Lord had shown me. It's totally different. And then it came in later what he had shown me all week because there's a specific word for a specific person or people, all of us, this morning. 1 Samuel 17. It's going to be on the screen. You'll get to it. You'll understand what it is. This is David and Goliath. Powerful passage. Start in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits, and a span. Now this was a big dude. But I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking with my friend. And how 
we were just reminiscing in how 50 years ago we would have been large men. But we're small now. <laughs> we're small men now. We're not big. And then we were talking about the NFL Combine. I don't know if you've ever watched that. But there are guys that are like 400 plus pounds and they're running like four six forties, which they're getting 40 yards in less than five seconds. And how if like just one of those men, they're like six eight, seven foot, I don't know, something ridiculous and obscene. If they just like, if their shoulder just brushed into me, or maybe if the wind of them passing me just hit me, I would probably go to the hospital. <laughs> and so David back then was, or Goliath back then was huge. Now he's like, your average Joe checking you out at the grocery store. But it's important to recognize that it, it wants to talk about how large he was. I just thought it was funny as I was reading this. I'm like, six cubits in a span is not, it's not big anymore, dang it. This was, this was a giant back in the day, and now it's, it's one of the high schoolers across the street. But listen, this was a big man then. A big man. And you'll understand why I bring that up, the height of today, in just a second. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's probably heavy. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighted 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him, kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that I, we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The army of God feared one man. The army of God, just hear this for a second. The entire army of God feared one man. Now granted, it was a big man, but the army of God feared one man. And now this, this was the question that popped into my mind randomly as I sat down to begin to write this out. Since when did an enemy of God and an enemy of His people get to dictate the terms of their fight against Him? What I find so astounding, we love this passage. I love the victory of David. But why was David necessary? Why did that army not stand together and just say, no, we are the army of God and we're going to charge this field and that, if that dude's in the way, then he's in the way. But they, this man began to dictate how they would then go and fight because he was bigger. One man bigger. Not bigger than the entirety of the, Israel, the Israelites, he was just one man bigger. And he dictated the terms of the fight and it kept the Israelites in their camp. And so now hearing this, recognizing that we do this, we take... Now hear this, this is what hit me like a freight train and it just began to overflow out of me. We take difficult circumstances and problems and we let them determine our response to them. We allow them to set boundaries on our victory. What? You are more than a conqueror. 
but yet we allow things conquered to set the terms on which we will fight and how we will handle them. Stop answering to the circumstances and recognize that they answer to you. I love what Carrie had to say and what Jay had to say about the situations of Ukraine because so many of us would dismiss it as that's over there and it's too big. But since when did circumstances dictate the responses of God's people and not God Himself? Since when did one man determine how we would fight back? Since when did a difficult circumstance in your story become the authority over your story? But there's someone here that needs to hear this. We all need to know this, but there's someone in here that needs to hear this. What would have happened if Israel just remembered whose they were? If they just remembered their God and in unity and in fullness, all of them charged that valley? Don't you start falling asleep on me now. We are God's elect, and who can stand against us? Is there anyone? Who can stand against you? Nothing. No one. There is not anything in all of creation that can stand against you. There is none. And there is, hear this, this is the second part of what the Lord brought specifically for this morning before we can move on. There is a heavenly solution for you. Graham Cook said this, and I loved it. He used to call his best friend and they would brag about their problems. And he didn't call them problems, he called them opportunities. And he would call him, be like, oh, my car's not starting today. His friend would just be like, man. Because he knew that Graham was getting ready to see God move. However he was going to do it, it's in there somewhere. Just <laughs> throw it out. We don't need it. That's why we need windows in here. Cell phone windows. Just chunk them out. It's over. They're, they don't need you anymore. Thank goodness. We'll pray for that person that's calling you during church. Am I telling you? Come on now. They need this word. Maybe they're calling in, phoning in. But I'm telling you right now, whatever circumstance it is that is weighing heavy on you, you have allowed it, and I'm telling you this, not in judgment, but I am telling you this because I'm your brother and I'm here to call you out on what is not of God. And you have allowed it to determine how you will fight back. No more. You have allowed it to determine how you will respond and how you will handle that circumstances. You, you have turned to the circumstance for advice on how to handle that circumstance. And you have allowed yourself to be put into a box and within that box, if you can't find the answer within that box, then there is no answer for you. But our God operates outside of the box, and He has never called us to be one that steps into that box. These are circumstances that we have, but they do not dictate your story. They are not in charge of your destiny. They do not change who God has called you to be and what He has anointed you to do. Hear that again. These circumstances do not change who God has called you to be and who they who He has anointed you to be, and what He has anointed you to do. These circumstances cannot change these things. They answer to you. God is in charge and He has set us in control. He has released us. Circumstances are not released upon you. You are released upon the earth. Put the power back in the place that it needs to be placed. Put the power back on your shoulders. You have the power in this story. 
And there is a heavenly solution waiting for you. But it starts by remembering who you are and whose you are. Amen? Amen. We must stay in this. Remember whose you are. Do not be like those that are, that are allowing their circumstances to define their story. The circumstance answers to you, people of God. You do not answer to the circumstance. Amen? And there is a heavenly solution. And when I say a heavenly solution, I mean a solution beyond what you could ever comprehend, but it is coming. Will you allow it to come? She's getting upset because she's not sure that you guys are receiving this. Will you allow it to come? Will you say yes to it when it comes? Will you say yes to whatever it needs to look like, letting it come however it needs to look like? If God needs to show up and place you over your circumstance like a mighty rushing wind, will you let Him? Or will you sit there and expect Him to come as fire and be disappointed when He doesn't come as a flame? But allow God to be God however He needs to be God and bring a heavenly solution and just trust in the reality that you are His. And He works all things for the good of those that love Him. And I would ask you this, do you love Him? Then He is working all things for your good. Can you trust that? And allow in this moment to be elevated above the circumstance you can't see beyond. It's okay if you can't see past it. You don't have to. He does. Amen? Amen. Do you receive it? Do you receive it? I'm serious, church. You guys better figure out how to use this mouth. The second I say amen and you're dismissed, it's like... Come on. I was thinking about doing a greeting this morning. I forgot about it. But you know if I did a greeting this morning and you just allowed you guys to get up and talk, most of the time Jay is halfway through the first song before you guys stop talking. I know it works. Use it. Stand in agreement with me and articulate it. Okay? It's a four-letter word. You can handle it. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we can move on. Praise God. (laughs) His goodness is here and it is for you. It is for us. Amen? Amen? So today... I love this. Now we're saying it with our chest, people. Come on now. This is good. I want this to be a morning. And the Lord has shown this to be a morning of rejoicing over what has yet to be and over what is to come. Okay? We rejoice all the time and it is for us to rejoice over what He has done because it propels us into the rejoicing of what He will do. But I'm asking you this morning to focus on what He is going to do. What is yet to come, but what will be. Because of who meets with us now. Amen? Amen. That word rejoice is a fascinating word. It means to feel or show great joy. And you can tell when someone's rejoicing. You can see it in them. But what it also means, this is why this word is powerful. And to do it is powerful. To rejoice is to cause joy. If you rejoice, you are authoring joy in those around you. You are causing it to well up in them. Man, that's like taking the river and directly placing it, running into somebody next to you. Just totally diverting the path and making sure they're just going to be washed over by the river of God. The river of life that flows from the throne room of God. When we rejoice, we cause joy. Joy. And it doesn't say has the ability to cause joy. It doesn't say may you may cause joy. It says it causes 
join. Now, this is Webster, and me and Webster normally don't agree on these kind of terms. But I agree with him here. Simple and to the point, to cause joy. I see no ands, if, or buts about it. I see that when the children of God rejoice, those that have received joy freely, when we begin to rejoice, we will cause joy to swell up and rise up and overflow in others. Amen? What an amazing thing. Romans 5, 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. It's important that we are told to in all things and in all circumstances, and it makes sense now, and it's just dawning on me how it makes sense why the Lord would give me the first word. You guys are watching the revelation, the connecting the dots right now in front of you. It makes sense now why He would have us talk about how the circumstances don't define your story, and then He would start talking about rejoicing in the midst of difficulties. He wants you to rejoice in the circumstance you're in, because when you rejoice, you will cause joy. Whoa. I'm telling you, I was with a man that caused joy. When, when Don Ray was in the hospital in his last days, you walked in that hospital and there was joy. Because that man rejoiced. He couldn't hardly talk, he couldn't hardly breathe, but that man was rejoicing even without words. Joy was overflowing out of him. And we walked in there, there was not a tear shed. There was joy. There was laughter. And he couldn't, he wasn't talking. He wasn't able to be a, a whole, uh, very much a part of it as far as input in the conversation. But he was present. Because of his presence and because of the rejoicing that took place in his heart, there was joy in us because he caused it. Amen? Amen. It's a powerful thing. When we rejoice, not only are we letting our joy be seen again, but we are causing joy to flow into our neighbors. Wow. So remember this word, remember this word rejoice. There's a reason that I wanted us to see it. I wanted us to know it and to remain in it. And I want us to remain in it all the days of our lives. Turn with me now to Acts 1. We'll be in verse 14, or 12, 12. Acts 1, 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had returned, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now look at Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, the upper room that we just saw described. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word that I had on my heart all week. To look at this, look at this group. And to recognize the reality that they were the first after Jesus. 
to encounter the presence of God, the indwelling presence of God. I mean, they are the first. Jesus leaves. The day of Pentecost comes that He promised, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and they are the first to receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit since Jesus. They are first to receive giftings like tongues. And then later, in just a few verses, you would see the the gift of teaching as Peter immediately begins to teach and speak to a group that would cause thousands to repent and be baptized and the church to be born. Immediately we see the giftings. These gifts were made manifest at the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is a side note, uh, but I want us to see it anyways. They just wanted what Jesus said to come to be. They just wanted it to happen. They wanted to experience it. They wanted to be with their teacher, their brother, their friend, and their Savior. And because they just sought God, not revenge, not fire and brimstone, raining down on those non-believers that crucified their Master and their Savior, they they just desired God. So when He came as He did... Nothing stood in the way for the Holy Spirit to flow in complete freedom. And you saw the Holy Spirit show up and then you saw giftings immediately made manifest. Whoa. And as I was looking at that, and this side note was just kind of hitting me and I was processing it. I was thinking, is that a one-time thing or is that just what happens when the Spirit is unrestricted and He shows up? And I'm going to go with B. When He shows up, and there is nothing restricting Him, and He has full permission, we will see the manifestation of glory. Amen? When the Spirit is given the freedom to do in and through us what needs to be done, He will move, and He will be made manifest. So, I would ask you and just challenge you again, let Him come as He needs to come and just pursue Him. Amen? Let it be. All that, All that comes when we seek Him. And I said this this morning, but He always finds us. So see this as well. They pursued Him with their whole heart and they found Him, but not because they had to get to Him. It says, seek Me with your whole heart and you will find Me. But never in Scripture do we see these people having to find and go searching and far out to God because He's dwelling in some distant place. The second the desire is consumed their entire heart to seek Him, He shows up where they are. What a God that we serve. Again, we talked about it over and over. There's not another God in history because there's not another real God. It's just this one we got Him, the one true God. But there's not another God in history that you did not have to go to to encounter. You had to go to where they were if you wanted to experience Him. Not true with our God, the one true God. If we simply desire Him, He comes to us. Amen? That should bring you joy because that can happen on the side of the road. That can happen at the gas station. That can happen in your workplace. That can happen here. If you just seek Him, you, you will find Him because He will show up. He will consume the room that you're in and He will overwhelm you with His presence. Amen? So back to His presence as we were discussing before. Those in the upper room, they sought God and they found Him in this way for the first time. Not just God, but God dwelling in them. Not just the presence of God, but indwelling presence of God. 
So this is the word that I had all week and I've not been able to shake it. It's consumed my mind and I want to read it clearly. So that's why I'm looking at this right now. It's why we're worshiping after a sermon because I needed to share this first. I heard the Lord say, this room, please hear this. I've brought attention to this several times, but the Lord is not... I think He'll be done after today if we grasp and receive what He has for us to receive. But He has brought us to the attention of attendance over and over and over again. I don't care to talk about it. I don't care. I've come to this place. Uh, you saw the moment where I came to this place right here on this stage. When it's like, if, if you guys stop coming, I'll be here. And I will preach to Jesus Himself if I need to. Because it's not going to change the way I respond. That was the word that he had for me and it was the word for us. We change the way we respond based on the people here. And he's like, no more. And this is what the Lord said to me yesterday. Clear as day. He said, the room is not full because I want, I want you to see this. To see that a small group of people ushered in the presence of God to all the world. Look at the upper room. A small group of people ushered in the presence of God to all the world. Can you imagine a greater thing than to usher in His presence? For the first time, fully released on earth again since the garden, and this group of people that sought after His heart ushered that in. Oh my goodness. What an honor. What a powerful, powerful statement. And we are the product, hear this, we are the product of that room. We are the product of those seeking. We are the product of what happened that day on Pentecost in the upper room. We are the products of it. Because how does the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit get in us if it does not first get released there? Amen? Amen. Wow. So church, what would God have this group, this small group, usher into all the world. That's what immediately where my mind went because he, he was showing me that He has anointed this time for there to be a smaller number of people here. Hear that. Hear that because you can ask these questions. How, are, how is this person not here? How is this person not here? Why is this person not here? It doesn't make any logical sense why so many are not here right now. No way. And the Lord said, it's because I have anointed it so. Like, oh, that's why. That does make sense now. He has anointed it so because He has anointed, and if you're here, receive it with honor. He has anointed this room and this small group of people. He has anointed every seat that is empty to remain empty so that this small group could see how we usher in the presence of God in a new way to this world. There is a work that He wants to do, a fresh releasing that He wants to do. And He desires for a small group in this house to do it. Not a full room. He desires the small group. Because what happened after that small group ushered in the presence of God? Thousands began to worship Him. Do you hear that? But the small group had to want Him more than they wanted a large group. They just wanted Him. They just wanted their Savior. They just wanted Jesus. And because they just wanted Jesus, thousands came to know the presence of God. Millions, billions came to know the presence of God and we are included in that. The church was born because a tiny group of people 
desired the heart of God and nothing else. So would you receive that this morning that you have been anointed to be those people that would usher in the presence of God to this world? Come on. Y'all better get fired up with me now. This is insane. God has anointed us in sundown Texas, a place that even people in Lubbock have never heard of, to usher in the next great move of God. And He's prophesied it for years. People have come from all over the world to prophesy over this house. Do you hear it? And the people that gather here, and I'm telling you right now, if the people, the tiny group of people in this upper room seek God with their entire heart, they will find Him and they will find the release of the presence of God like we cannot comprehend and we cannot measure. It will be beyond anything we've ever understood as it was for them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance right in front of each other. People thought they were drunk. And then Peter immediately began to speak a word, a, a, this gifting of teaching, which if you know anything about Peter, that was not there ever in his journey with Jesus. And then he begins to articulate, and all of a sudden Peter becomes the leader that he always sought to be with Jesus. But he, Jesus knew he needed the Holy Spirit first. He was trying to lead from the flesh. That's why he was always such a knucklehead. But then he got a hold of the Spirit, and he, he gave one of the greatest messages ever because it led to the birth of the Christian church, a group of people pursuing the heart of God, and we have lost that. Church has become a routine. Church has become a culture thing. And I'm telling you right now, will we be the next upper room that this tiny group would seek Him with all of our hearts, that a fresh outpouring, that God could do a new brand new thing like the world has never seen just like it was back then this the world has never seen this before and the, there's no end to God there's no end to his glory there's no end to his majesty so there are still new things in store and he wants to release them here to all of the world and he has anointed you this tiny group to release such a presence and He wants it to stay small because He wants you to be able to articulate how on this day God released a fresh outpouring of His presence and I was there and I was a part of it. One of the things, I've been in a large church and I believe He's preparing us and protecting us from this. I've been in a mega church. And you want to talk about the insignificance you feel when so many people don't know you. When so many people don't know your story, they don't know where you've been, they don't know where you're going, they just know you sit a few rows in front of them every Sunday and you kind of smile and wave and that's it. They might know your name. But to worship with 5,000 5, complete strangers not engaged in the heart of God together, they're just there because it's what you do on a Sunday, was terribly miserable. And I hated church for a long time. A long time. It was miserable. Why would anybody want to go to that? And that's not what God has for us. So we cannot pursue growth to see growth because there not, there's not anything good there when we pursue growth for the sake of growth. But I want to see this place full as I've seen it in vision and dreams. He's given me two dreams and I've told you about both of them of this place full standing room only. There were men surrounding the outer region, the, the perimeter of this church so that the women could have a seat. 
I could see them with their legs up on the wall, their Bible sitting on their knee, engaged in the presence of God. But it wasn't because they were here, because there was something flashy, there was something fancy. They were here because the Spirit of God got a hold of them. Because a fresh outpouring consumed them. And then we saw, what we're, what we're articulating again is to see Acts 42 through 47 anew right here today in Sundown, Texas. So I'm asking you to receive and rejoice. The reason why I want us, us to look at this word rejoice. Rejoice for a small, a small room of people in sundown Texas have been anointed to usher in the presence of God to all the world. A fresh and new work that He has anointed for us to usher in. Can you receive that this morning? Can you receive it this morning? Don't you say yet. Don't you dare say yes unless you mean it. Because I have no desire to do anything but what the Lord has just highlighted for us to do now. If we're going to do anything else but usher in the presence of God in a new way to this world, I'll put in my two weeks. I don't want to do anything else because this is what the Lord has said is ahead of us. Do you have any desire to go anywhere else? To do anything different but usher in the presence of God? If you do, correct it now. Let Him, let him write it on your heart. Say it. Holy Spirit, you're all I want. A thousand times until you say it that last time and you know you believe it. Because this room and the people in it have been anointed to usher in the presence of God in a new way. In sundown Texas and to all the world. And that is exciting. And that is worthy of all the rejoicing that we can do. To cause joy. To overflow with joy. So much so that it causes those around us to be joyful. Amen? Wow. And so now to the worship. Now to the worship. When they were praying in this upper room, do you think any of them, do you think any of them hesitated to pray out loud? No. Do you think any of them hesitated to sing as the Spirit gave them utterance? As, the, as their heart began to cry. They... It was so, it's so fascinating to me because the Spirit, they began to speak in tongues and not at one point does it say and they were afraid and shut it off. But when the Spirit began to move, they just said yes and they stayed in it. And they stayed in it and they stayed in it and they stayed in it. That's why we have the book of Acts. It's people that chose the Spirit over and over and over and over and over again so we never saw an end to His working. And so I'd ask you in this moment of worship to choose the Spirit of God. And I'm not talking about kind, kind of choosing it. I'm telling you to choose it like the army of God would choose to fight. Like the army of God should have chosen to charge that valley and run over Goliath. That David would have gone there bringing his brother's food. He would have gotten there and there would just be devastation for the Philistines before him. And that what would lay amongst the rubble would be this giant body that dare dictate how they should respond. So don't you let our circumstances dare dictate how you respond in these moments. And I'm asking you now to sing in such a way. I'm going to put you on blast just a little bit. 
took my headphones out, couldn't really hear you all that well, but I could hear this little boy sitting next to Marcus sing these words. To sing, when you move, we want more. I heard this little boy, pretty cool little kid, I heard him singing louder than you. Don't let me catch you slipping like that again. You sing in fullness and you sing in power. Why would you withhold anything, including your voice in this moment? Let's leave here hoarse, raspy voice. Did we go into work consistently on Mondays and they're like, why are you always raspy on Mondays? I was praising God with my people on Sundays. So I would ask you to praise God because ushering in the presence of God doesn't come because we withhold something. It comes when we give everything. Amen? It comes when we give everything. In this room, be encouraged. And also, would you just wear this cloak of honor that the Lord seeks to place upon your shoulders? He has chosen you for this. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.